podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to our second Wisden World Cup daily podcast. Pakistan beat Netherlands by 81 runs at Hyderabad, a final scoreline that doesn't really reflect how close the Dutch came to pulling off the mother of all World Cup upsets. Netherlands had Pakistan 38 for three and at one point with Baz Dalida looking a million dollars at the crease, they threatened to chase down 287. I'm Yaz Rana and with me today is Ben Gardner. Ben, we didn't get that upset that we cheekily predicted on the podcast yesterday but until Harris Ralph took two wickets in and over it should have been three if it were not for a, a clanger from Iftikhar at slip Netherlands were properly in this game yeah they were yeah and then you know, you know let's start with the Netherlands uh having had such an amazing journey to this World Cup sort of the 13th team in the in the Super League that then got then got quashed they're kind of showing the merits of that competition I guess by coming through that qualifier in such amazing circumstances with that that you know that brilliant game against uh Scotland and the hero in that game was the leader and he was uh the hero in this game too was robbed of the player of the match board but took four wickets to uh it's sort of a almost like a, a Ralph-esque two wickets in the middle when he took two uh two in and over to kind of you know halt halt the charge that that Pakistan mm-hmm. put him together um and and yeah they they, they they were genuinely in the game it's it is weird how quickly I mean it just shows how important the leader is to that side. And I guess there was a middle order side. I mean, you know, Pakistan were 38 for three, Netherlands were 120 for two. Uh, that kind of shows you that even if the final score was, uh, was you know, shows that it was a reasonably convincing win. And it, it was convincing, you know, Pakistan, they had a lot in the tank. I mean, you can say, you know, what if they get to that Ralph spell, but Ralph was a brilliant ODI bowler. And mm. that is exactly what makes him so good. And, he, and he's pretty much the best at that in the world. I think you're completely right on Netherlands, you know, dismissively written off going into the tournament and it obviously be a miracle for them to qualify for the knockouts. But they will continue to be a team that causes problems. Looking back at Afghanistan's 2019 World Cup, they were winless, but they very nearly beat India. They very nearly beat Pakistan. To get through that qualifier, to get to a 10-team World Cup, you have to beat decent teams and emerge from a lot of competitive cricket. I mean, this year, Netherlands chased down 374 against West Indies and obviously qualify for this tournament ahead of West Indies. And in an ODI last year against Pakistan, scored 298 and against a strong Pakistan attack as well. So there's proper talent in that side. Um, on Delida, I really liked how he bowled. Um, he's quite speculative in that he targets the stumps quite a lot and he's always trying to move mm-hmm. the ball. So I think he'll go for runs quite often, but he'll also pick up wickets on the way. And he played some amazing shots. The hook for six off Harris Ralph, a couple of delicious uh, straight drives as well. Uh, Phil asks, is the Baz Delida wink the single coolest moment in World Cup history, giving uh, Ralph a wink after hooking him for six? And Ben, there's a bit of history between Delida and Ralph as well. Yeah, but 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 good history, nice history. I mean, because actually Ralph had a few words for the uh, the number 11 after bowling him. They had a, a nice little battle as a, as Netherlands sort of thwacked away at the end. But yeah, on, on, on Ralph and Delida, so it was the 2022 20, T20 World Cup, so last year, uh, Ralph hits Delida with a bouncer. He's, you know, proper black eye sort of slightly cut cheek almost just from the uh just from the impact of it and then after the game is uh you know they're they're, ha- they're sharing a nice word ralph saying like come back stronger keep hitting sixes that sort of thing and then this happens in this game i think there's it's it was it was a very nice moment but yeah that was a uh, especially because ralph had looked like he was rushing to leader just just before that 
mm. hook for six and this wasn't wasn't really a top edge it was absolutely out the screws uh it just flew perfectly square and then yeah uh the perfect wink and then a little smile as well so there wasn't any uh uh, any bad blood at all um nice. and you've got two mind-blowing baz leader stats for everyone uh yes is it two or it's, if, if anything it's three i it's think three okay so um let me let me see if i can phrase these right so of the uh every forfer for netherlands in the world cup that's come against a side other than Nam- namibia has been taken by one of the deleader family fantastic and father tim deleader uh 50% of the players to score 60 or more and take four wickets in a World Cup game are from the Netherlands. The other one, uh, uh, Kloppenberg, during the... Uh, I was just about to say it. <laughs> the 2003 World Cup. And th- I, this is my favourite one. Uh, he is the first player in ODI history to uh, score 50 and take four wickets in consecutive ODIs. And the previous one was actually the last game of that qualifier when they pulled off that extraordinary win against Scotland which they needed to chase just under 300 I think in uh, 43 overs and it looked like they were out of it and then he played mm. an absolutely stunning assault to to get in there so yeah he, he he's a properly uh, a properly gun cricketer and and yeah that that was why it just felt like the game kind of felt like it was over his contest when he got out but until teams get him out they will be a bit fearful of the Netherlands going through the tournament I think. Mm. Um, going back six or so hours Netherlands had Pakistan 38 for three and Rizwan and Shaquille got Pakistan out of a hole, but it was Shaquille in particular who really got the innings going. And in a way, he's similar to the Ravindra story in here's a guy who've we've seen do well in test cricket, but as an obdurate left-hander who's very cautious, thrown into the warm-ups. He does, he's never played a PSL game. He's played a few ODIs, uh, but not done much in them. Does really well in one warm-up game. And he's, he looks like he's got all the shots. I'm, I was, wondering where, where the hell has this guy been in white ball cricket before? Because I think he actually makes the Pakistan top order look much more solid. Yeah. And then they've, they've, that middle order, they've, they've had a few options there and they've been kind of testing a few out and he's just come in basically at the right time. They had Salman Ali Aga who didn't do that badly either, but uh, this looks like, I mean, Saul Shaquille is the, he's the pedigree player, I think. And he, he's, he fits as a, as a number five who can play, spin really well and yeah he was brilliant I mean there was that that one great moment where uh he had spotted that the Netherlands had one too many fielders outside of the uh the 30 yard circle so plays the big shot which he gets for four and then tells the umpire I'm gonna have a free hit now thanks and then hits that for six and that was that felt like the moment when like the, the tension kind of eased out after mm. that start they put together a bit of partnership in Rizwan but yeah that was a uh that was a really impressive knock and actually in some ways, you know, Pakistan fans will, you know, feel that maybe they should be beating the Netherlands uh, by more and that, you know, they'll be worried about being 38 for three early on. But actually, in some ways, what would Pakistan have really taken from this game if, you know, Babrazam had scored 150 and then Shaheen takes, say, four and, and over and, and with the new ball and then the game is is done. Actually, they, they've learned quite a lot and there's actually, there is a fair amount to take from it, like, Rizwan, we I guess we knew he was a very good number four, but it's just it's good to have that absolutely confirmed, and then to have the guy inked at number five, and then also to have that lower order of of Nawaz and Shadab playing two pretty key hands. That's that is really important, and Pakistan's is, is an old side, and they bat down to four, and I guess now five, and then you've just got quite a lot of all rounders, but that will bail you out on occasion, and that's what it did because it wasn't just they were thirty eight for three, they were one hundred eighty eight for six as well. Like mm. that could easily become. 221 out exactly whereas actually it's 286 and you're like that's that should be enough and then obviously 
Ralph was brilliant, but I guess they'd be pretty encouraged by Shadab with the ball as well. Um, the... He got a lot better once he took his wicket. Exactly, yeah. And and he has he has struggled uh, with the ball recently. I mean, Butch was saying in the pod last week that uh, maybe uh, Asam Amir should play over him. Um, and, you know, we shouldn't be, you know, singing his praise in the rooftop because it should be the guy who's the absolute linchpin of the side and we're kind of taking quite a lot from him, you know, scoring 30 with the bat and taking taking a wicket. This should be kind of like a, you know, an average Shadab Khan performance, mm. but hopefully he will take some confidence from it. And he does have these periods of form where he goes up and down and hopefully he's just on on the way back up again. Mm. Um, a couple of negatives, I guess, on Pakistan. Top order run's still a problem. Fakir Zaman is in miserable form. He's been a banker for them for so long in ODI cricket, but he hasn't got to 30 in, I think, at least 10 games. And Whisper, I think Shaheen is, is just clearly not at his best. And I wonder, has he been at all since he returned from that knee injury that he got during the T20 World Cup last year? Um, he returned early in the year. He was more expensive than usual and the PSL went at more than nine and over. Probably only one standout performance in international cricket since then, that 4 for against India in the Asia Cup. Um, I thought he was noticeably a bit short on pace and it's not loads, but it's enough to make a difference. Um, at one point, a graphic came up on the screen and, his, and it said his average speed was 83.5 miles per hour, which is just a bit down for Shaheen. And we're looking at his spells over the last year, even when he's picked up decent figures, he's not been as penetrative with a new ball as he as you associate with Shaheen. And he's obviously so important to how Pakistan play and without Naseem Shah as well that becomes doubly more important um, obviously lots of time for him to get back to his best but I do wonder that actually just low key has he not really been there since the T20 World Cup last year and I think the bowling in general looks a bit like Hassan Ali is a significant downgrade on Naseem Shah I know pretty much everyone in the world is and I know that Hassan Ali took a couple of wickets today but I think you could massively see the difference between the two of them um, the one real positive in the bowling attack is Ralph. Ralph was, I thought, brilliant. Pretty much won them the game. Um, anyway, time for a break. In part two, we'll answer more of your questions, uh, hear Ben's moment of the match and get his view on the England defeat as well as looking forward to tomorrow's two games. Amin Malik asks, will posting scores of 280 be enough against stronger oppositions? I think that's a very interesting question because I think we're still trying to work out what a good score is at this World Cup. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, it, it wasn't enough yesterday uh and it was enough today but i think it also depend lows just i mean it, it depends on which team you are if 280 will be enough if you're if you're pakistan and okay and, and if shaheen is, is back to being at his best then 280 might well be enough if he takes two with a new ball and then ralph takes two through the middle overs then teams are going to struggle to 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 make uh that that bigger score against you but if you you know if you can't really rely on your bowlers to to take wickets then yeah you're going to need a few more runs and equally I guess, yeah, we'll get a few more ideas about what the conditions around India are like. They play at, what, Dharamsala and Delhi tomorrow. Delhi might be quite spin-friendly and might be a bit lower scoring. So that'll be an interesting game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, t- I mean, I guess it's pretty... <laughs> neither here nor there answer to say that 280 is probably neither here nor there, mm. that might sometimes be enough and depends on on the bowlers and the conditions on the day. But yeah, it's going to be... I mean, but I guess going into the last World Cup... There was, I mean, I think there was one more game where there were loads of runs scored. And we were saying like, is this the World Cup where 500 gets yeah. scored? And actually... It really wasn't. Yeah, exactly. But, but just saying on the podcast last week, he doesn't really expect this to be a particularly high scoring World Cup. I, I do wonder though, if 
Um, Vic, Vic Graham Singh got a 50 and he looked really good, particularly in the power play. I, I think in the two games so far, obviously it's two specific venues. It has looked slightly easier to bat uh, under lights um, when there's a bit of dew mm-hmm. compared to in the daytime in the, in the searing heat. It's only two games, so I don't want to draw too many firm conclusions from that. Um, ben, what's your moment of the of the game? Oh, uh, yeah, well... This was just brilliant. It was, and it, in a way, well, it didn't sum up the game except that it was just properly chaotic. It was the run out of, of Mohamed Nawaz, and I'm trying to remember it in my head to get to get everything in there. So. He gets struck on the pad. Uh, but it wasn't him that got struck on the pad, right? It was uh, it was Shaheen that got struck on the yes. stuck, s- struck on the arm, playing a reverse sweep. And you think, how does a missed reverse sweep turn into a run out for the non-striker at the striker's end? <laughs> like that just, sh- that just that shouldn't really happen. But it kind of b- balloons up in the air. At which point, you know, Nawaz tries to come down and then gets sent back because the, the single's not on. But the throw comes in. Nawaz would have been home at the non-striker's end misfielded there's no one uh no, no one can gather at the stumps at which point Jaheen charges down but because Nawaz had to take the time to go back then turn around he's kind of struggling to make it the one good bit of cricket in that is that a direct hit comes in and uh and he's he's sent on his way it was properly chaotic and it was weird how especially that first innings how chaotic it felt kind of all the way through that Paxton was scrambling up you look at the score and it's like, oh actually they've got mm. 286 and they're probably like pretty pretty strong favourites here. Mm, definitely. Um, and quickly, you obviously weren't on yesterday's pod. What were your thoughts on that England game? You said to me earlier that you thought England are a little bit muddled at the moment. They don't really know what they're trying to do with selection. Yeah, well, because there was quite a lot of focus on their batting approach and whether that was muddled. And actually what you said about the new ball, I guess, comes into that in that it actually felt like maybe they could have got to a fast start. I know that's, those are New Zealand's threat bowlers, aren't they? Henry and Bolt, but best so he hits that six in the first innings and you think England are away here and it didn't they didn't quite kick on and it felt more deliberate than it would have done in the past like sometimes you know you're 54 in the power play and that's because they've bowled really really well in this case it felt like they were happy enough to be that which is different from England in the past but I think actually and we got we got a couple of people yesterday um email in saying that we were potentially harsh on on Milan, I think I think that isn't directed at Milan. That is just the entirety of the top three. Yeah, exactly. And you know, when you go through that New Zealand series before the World Cup, Milan was regularly scoring at about or on a ball or a bit above through the power play. Like I don't think he's the issue. And if anything, mm. actually, I think England. The, the thing that the thing with the muddled thing is that I feel like they need to back their batters to be batters and back their bowlers to be bowlers. Like it's a kind of neither here nor there lineup at the moment, really, which means that feels a bit short on batting and a bit short and bowling you're like hang on how how have we got mowing at five or six and also we're relying on current to take the new ball and to be our third seamer whereas like I feel like when so when Stokes comes back in I think the I think what England probably will do but I think they should do it, but what they will do is that Stokes will just come back in for Brooke I think but I think if they just back the top six you have Brooke at five Butler at six that feels really strong and then you also maybe probably bring in top for Curran then you've actually, you've got three bowlers, four bowlers there that you could absolutely bank on. You can sort of fiddle the rest of the 10 overs from, you know, from Root, maybe one or two from Stokes, who knows? I guess maybe that would be more to the back end of the tournament. And then you've got either Livingston or Moeen. Um, And then you've got, but you won't need the batting of those guys so much because you've got a top six that you can really count on. That, mm. that feels to me like it makes a lot more sense. And actually, if you look at the, the lineup that ended the 2019 World Cup, as much as England had batted deep for a long time in the build-up, 
by that point, you know, Archer had come in, who, you know, we thought could bat, turns out couldn't, hasn't yet shown that in international cricket, I suppose. Uh, Moen was was dropped. So he had Wokes at seven and... Plunkett at eight. What, Plunkett at eight? Yeah, so, so and, and England, you know, okay, they stumbled over the line of the final, but before that, they were still putting up big totals and, and brushing teams aside. And you need to be able to bowl really well to win World Cups. And the way you get to those imposing totals by your top six making runs and averaging 40 and that's this top six that can do that I think so mm. um, and tomorrow we've got two potentially really interesting games Bangladesh versus Afghanistan and South Africa versus Sri Lanka Bangladesh and Afghanistan are two pretty evenly matched teams I wonder how much Afghanistan have moved forward since the 2019 World Cup um, and then South Africa Sri Lanka is a game at Delhi which as you mentioned is a slow low surface that could play into Sri Lanka's hand I guess so. The one big blow for Sri Lanka is that, you know, obviously Hasaranga all out for the tournament and Teek Shana is going to miss this first game. Uh, with Hasaranga with, already out. Exactly. Yeah. With an injury. Uh, it's it's not a serious injury, but just missing this one game is, is huge. And it's going to put so much on, on Dunith Wellalaga, who, you know, was, you know, no one had heard of him until a few weeks ago. And he has that amazing all round show against India. And now he's almost the bowler that their World Cup's arresting on. And actually, it seems silly to say cause it's the first game for both of them, but it, kind of feels if if I if any of these four teams are going to make a real push for the semi-finals they can't afford to slip up against the, the teams other teams in that bracket yeah. because if you do you might have to take two games at least off New Zealand England India Australia that looks like it's gonna be pretty hard um, I mean presuming England get a bit better um and uh and so yeah so I think I think yeah two 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 fascinating games um I guess I'd probably predict Bangladesh and South Africa to to win the two but yeah I'm going to be getting up early to watch that that first one and I'm I'm fascinated to see how they both play out I guess mm, I, I think it's I think it's really really interesting because I I think towards the end of the World Cup the table I think will look pretty similar to how most people predict but there will be a point where a team that's not fancied to qualify for the mm-hmm. final four threatens to do that and as we said yesterday as we said in the preview pod to qualify for the semi-finals, you probably need six wins as a, as a minimum. And as you say, if you don't get a win tomorrow, if you're one of those four teams, that target of six looks looks pretty far away. Mm. Um, well, absolutely loads to look out for tomorrow. I'm off on a stag do. So in my place in the hosting chair will be Katia with input from Ben, Jim Wallace and podcast newbie, Torwid Qureshi. Does the, does the stag do explain the hat? Uh, it does not explain the hat. Podcast Network.